I've titled this, Bildad's Bad Theology. All right. Uh, now, I say this, bad theology is not harmless. Some people say, oh, just because you have a different faith, just because you have a different way of looking at things, sometimes that's harmless, and a lot of times it's not. I need you to um, uh, uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy, I know you're going to be in Job, but we'll first go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. While you're going there and turning there, when I get there, I need to say a few things and then we'll read these, these scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3. All right, when you go there, let me say a couple of things. Job lived at a time when no scripture was written. There was no Bible at the time. He lives around the time of Abraham, about 2,000 years before Christ. So that's 4,000 years ago. So all the stories of creation, the fall, Adam and Eve, Noah's flood, the sinfulness of mankind, the righteousness of God, were constantly rehearsed in every culture all over the world. Every culture, every major culture, has a story of the flood and of one boat with people on it surviving the flood. Everybody knew about these things. All of the cultures knew about Adam and Eve. They knew about Noah, and they knew about God's righteousness and his judgment. But it was an incomplete story. This was a thing that was passed down from generation to generation. As far as we can tell, just audibly. Maybe they wrote some things, but we have no examples of the fact that they had written down. They wrote, but they didn't have examples of it. They struggled with disasters and with understanding. This is the thing I want you to understand. In that day, in Job's day, everyone struggled with disasters and with understanding all the whys and where the goodness of God was. So no wonder there were so many ideas about what God is like. And so, and, and really, I get to this point, I want to say this. That's why there's so many ideas about what God is like today, because most people have an incomplete understanding of the Bible. So when you're talking to people, people have weird ideas about what God is like and why bad things happen to good people. So the same problem in Job's day, no real Bible, nobody knew much, is true today. Most people don't have a Bible, and if they do, they never read it. So... By way of background, I want you to watch here in our Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, a bishop, an overseer, a pastor, somebody in charge of, of a church, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant. What do you think vigilant means? Watching, uh, watchful, vigilant. I can't hear you. On guard, I like that. Okay? He can't just ride the roller coaster of life. He's got to be on the lookout. He's got to be. And vigilant doesn't only mean vigilant against enemies. Vigilant against error. Vigilant. Where does error, where is error prone to show up where we least expect it? In ourselves. So, a bishop, a pastor, a somebody who stands behind a pulpit needs to be very vigilant on, I better tell the truth. I better speak what's right, not what I want to say. That's, I'm going to go with this in a moment. He goes on, sober, of good behavior. You'd hate to have a pastor who's got bad behavior. Given to hospitality, apt to, hungry to teach. Jump down to verse 6. 
Not a what? I didn't hear anybody. What is the word? What's a novice? Inexperienced freshman, okay. <laughs> all right. Um, and um, uh, there are all kinds of, Americans have all kinds of sayings. I'm trying to hear what you guys would say. A novices, all right. What do you call a novice on the road? A learner. And, and, and like people, I mean, uh, they, they're terrified of and say, oh, the way of the learner, whatever, right? Not a novice, the Bible says. Why? Verse 6, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the very same condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, moreover, he must have a good report. He must have a reputation of them which are without, them who are outside of the church lest he fall into reproach and into the snare of the devil. So, somebody who speaks the truth of the Bible has to be careful that he's not, like Bildad, so full of himself that he thinks, I can tell anybody anything and I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to say this, Bildad, in his giving of truth, only hurt Job, never helped him one bit, even though he said some things that were true. So we're going to talk about this. Bildad speaks from a place of pride. Biblical ignorance is a bad thing, but pride is far worse. Bildad and his companions are so full of what they believe that they never actually test any of it to make sure they're right. And they never care how they speak to their friend and they end up doing great damage in Job's heart. What Bildad basically says in this chapter that we're going to read, you can go back there to Job now. What Bildad basically is going to say is this. All right, I'm going to speak very succinctly, which means just boop, 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 boop. Job, stop complaining about all your troubles. God doesn't make any mistakes. If your children have sinned, then they deserve to die. And if you would just get right with God and seek him and clean up your life, then God will bless and prosper your latter end. That's what Job is, I'm sorry, that's what Bildad is basically going to tell Job. But boy, does he, and, and, and some of that is true. And you know what, in the latter end, Job chapter 8. And in the latter end, does God, does Job get right, yes or no? Yes, and does God bless him in his latter end? Yes, but wow, truth, let me say it this way. The problem is that none of what Bildad is going to say is going to help Job at his core. Truth, spoken without love, is like a dagger. Truth, spoken at someone, is a weapon. Truth spoken without careful application is like a hammer. Case in point, you have a, you have a, a, a burn. And can you imagine, you just, you just burned yourself on, uh, with an iron or with a curling iron or on the hob you're, or underneath you're putting something into the oven and you burn it. And then somebody just comes along, pours on some cream and then slaps on a plaster. All right, they put the plaster on, but boy did it hurt. Okay, Bildad here is speaking truth without carefully applying the truth. There are times when truth must be preached, 
like a trumpet. When it has to be preached loud and clear, not caring about anyone's feelings. But be careful that you think that that's always. When you're dealing with broken people, be very careful. Did not Jesus speak one way to the Pharisees and another way to the sinners? So, Bildad is going to say some things that are true, but he's going to only hurt his audience. So, let's look at his bad theology, all right? A couple of points here. We're going to start there in chapter 8 and verse 1. He mocks Job. And this is where I say he's got so much pride, because if you really cared about somebody, you wouldn't mock them. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Then answered Bildad. Now, Job has just poured his heart out saying, Leave me alone, God. Back off. I just wish I could die. I wish I, wish I knew why. I, don't, I know that, that I, I, I haven't done anything wrong, but if you say I've done something wrong, so be it. And Job is working through all this, and then Bildad says, My turn. Bildad, then answered Bildad the shoe height. You know he was the shortest man in history. Bildad the shoe height. And he said, how long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Basically, he's saying, why don't you just give up? Why, how long are you going to keep arguing with us? Now, let me ask you this. What chapter are we in? Eight. When does it end? Chapter 42. This is going to be a long argument. And what is Bildad telling him? Just let me win. Job, chalk it up. I'm right. You're wrong. And just stop arguing. That is so cruel, okay? <clears throat> he says, all you are is just a, a, a big wind. Isn't that what some people say? You're just a bag of wind. I wonder where they got that from. Right here. I and my friends, we have more wisdom on these things than you do. Listen to us and just accept it as true. He mocks Job. Secondly, he says, God does no wrong, Job. And I think we'd all agree with that. Verse 3, doth God pervert judgment? Does he twist judgment? Or doth the Almighty pervert justice? If there's anything everyone can agree upon, that is God can't do evil. He can only do good and, be, and do right. In other words, God will always do right and will always judge righteously. Let's go to Genesis. Let's hold our place here. Go to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18, 25. And uh, Abraham is sort of arguing with God over his nephew. Genesis 18. And he's worried about his nephew Lot. And he struggles with the fact that God says, I'm going to wipe, off that, wipe out that region down there called Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says something really powerful. And you got to see verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. You would never do that, God. And that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. And then he says the great words. He says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, is that true, yes or no? You can expect that God 
will always do right. Now, we all agree with that. Bildad says that. He says, God does no wrong. All right? So far, kind of, all right. But then he makes some circumstantial conclusions. Go back to Job chapter 8 and verse 4. He uses a lot of ifs. And you know, mm, be careful when you don't know something that you say anything. If you hear a rumor, what should happen? It should die right there. I got one amen. He starts off and he says, verse 4, If thy children have sinned against him, against God, and he have cast them away for their transgressions, go on. If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, if you had done it early over and over, and made thy supplication, your prayer to the Almighty, if thou were pure and upright, surely now he, God, would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. Bildad is the reason why real science and real faith was developed. Bildad starts making some conclusions. You know, if, if your children sinned, then they got what they got because they deserve it. Just because people think and feel that something is true does not make it true. Would you agree with that? That's called emotional or sometimes circumstantial evidence. I just think he's going to do wrong. There's those shifting eyes. They just tell me something's wrong with him. Circumstantial evidence is not evidence. It's just things that go on. Theology based upon, I don't care how much experience you've had, I don't care how many discussions you've had with angels at the end of your bed, I will not believe you talk to an angel. I believe you talk to a demon, but I do not believe you talk to an angel because the Bible says if you ever did talk to an angel, you wouldn't know it. So, I don't care. When we base our theology on our feelings, on our experiences, we become like Bildad. And he makes some assumptions. This is horrible. He implies that Job's children's children have sinned. He implies that God has rightly cast them away because of their sin. They committed a sin unto death. Now, is there a sin unto death, yes or no? Yes. Do you know there are sins that will get you killed? You just go right up to, just go right up to an armed guard and slap him. You are pushing it, man. Run at a guard that's got a gun with a knife. You will die, amen? So, he is implying an extremist says, you know, if they're dead, it's probably because they were sinners. Can you say that for sure? No. He implies that Job, what, can you imagine a father who did, we read it in Job chapter 1, he, his children were celebrating their birthdays, they were celebrating their, their family time, they were having a blessed time, there was nothing wrong going on, but Job was afraid that maybe they were sinning in their heart. And so he was praying, he was giving sacrifices to God just in case. And here comes Bildad and he says, you know, if you had really prayed for your children, God would not have allowed them to die. What a stab 
to attack a man who's lost his children and says, you know, you probably didn't pray for your children. You want a friend like that? Is Bill Dad the kind of friend you want to have? Who, when you have a disaster, says, well, you're, yeah, it's probably your fault. He then implies that Job himself was not a righteous man. He says, if you were pure. When I was a, a teenager, when I was in secondary school, we call that a moment, a burn moment. Where you're saying something and you're making it for effect. And, and Bildad is saying to Job, you're not pure like we are. That is not theology, folks. What is that? It's pride, but it is judgmentalism. You know, Christianity has had enough of it. Would you agree? It should not be in Christianity, where we feel like we have the ability to see someone's disaster and make a judgment call about it. There may be all kinds of reasons why somebody's going through a thing, but be very slow to think you know why disasters occur in somebody's life. This man, you do not want to be your friend. Let's go on. <clears throat> he then there, in verse 8, let's pick it up in verse 8, down to verse 12. For inquire, why don't you go searching, I pray thee, of all the, of the former age, of the past, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers, of all the old writers. For we... Are but of yesterday. We're young and know nothing because our days upon earth are, are a shadow. How long were people living even after the flood? Hmm? Hundreds of years. Man, it was dropping over about 600 years. It dropped from 400 down to about 150. Abraham lived how long? 175 years. Job, we don't know how old he is. He's got 10 kids. He might be 60, 70, 80, I don't know, 90. But compared to in the former days, people living that old, Bildad's saying the truth. He says, you know, we know nothing. Why don't you go back and, 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 and hear what the fathers said? Verse, uh, where did I leave off? Verse 10, shall they not teach thee, and tell thee in other words out of their heart? And then he says something, verse 11, can the rush grow up without mire? A rush was a... a, a uh, a weed that grows in, in, in muck and mire, can the flag grow without water? And a flag is, is another uh, uh, water plant that's got this big, looks like a, a sausage. You know what I'm talking about? Got this, it's called, in America, they're called cattails. But um, here they're called flags. Can the flag grow without water? While it is yet in the greenhouse, and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. It's so delicate. Now, where does he turn for his bad theology? Oh, let me get through this. He bases his theology on two things. Number one, on ancient wisdom. And all cultures do this. They go to Confucius. They turn to Socrates and Aristotle. They look for logic and philosophy. All cultures do this. And here's Bildad saying, well, this, what I'm telling you is common wisdom. But then he says something else. Where else does he turn to try to convince Job he's right? Nature. 
And that's not all wrong. Does Jesus teach using nature? He sure does. But be careful when you make absolutes from nature. He says, the rush grass only grows in mire. The flags only grow in water. They don't grow in sand. And they wither so quickly. And then verse 13, he says this. I didn't read that. But so are the paths of all that forget God and the hypocrite's hope shall perish. So he says, hey, just like the rush grows in mire, just like the flags grow in water, all of your situations have grown out of sin. Wow. Was he right or wrong? He was wrong. But he used nature to prove a point. It is, listen, I'm a Bible believer, and I'm glad I have a whole Bible, but can you imagine if we had no Bible, trying to struggle with, wow, why do bad things happen to good people? He uses nature itself, and he was wrong. I'm thankful for a completed Bible. Unfortunately, most people don't even look at what, what Bildad was looking at, much less the Word of God. Most people ignore natural law. Did you know it is unnatural to abort a child? It is unnatural for two men to try and be married. It is unnatural for somebody to be born a male and to believe he's a female. Nature teaches you some basic things, amen? So, wow, but our generation is rapidly throwing everything. You talk to a millennial and everything that happened before them doesn't matter. And they won't, they're reading everything on the internet, but it's all modern writings. They'll never pick up and learn what has been learned over the last 6,000 years. He talks next about the ruin of the hypocrites. Look in verse 13. So are the paths of all that forget God. Who is he implying? Job. And the hypocrite's hope shall perish, whose hope shall be cut off and whose trust shall be a... Wow, how powerful is a spider web? You can't put anything on a spider web. Verse 15. He, a hypocrite, a reprobate would be another term, shall lean upon his house, but it shall not stand. What kind of house would that be? The one that you huff and you puff and it blows down. He leans upon his house, but it doesn't even stand. He shall hold it fast. He'll try to hold it together, but it shall not endure. He's green before the sun. Green usually means you're healthy and you can resist the heat. And his branch shooteth forth in his garden. His roots are wrapped around the heat. They're all in these roots holding on to one another. And, and seeth the place of stones. The idea is it's not filled with stones. It's away from the stones, so it's good soil. If God destroy him from his place, then, it's, then that place shall deny him, saying, I have not even seen thee. Now, he's talking about the ruin, the hypocrites here. Do you know this is the first time the word hypocrite shows up in your Bible? That's very interesting. This is the first time the word hypocrite shows up in the Bible, and who's being called a hypocrite? A righteous man, Job. So who invented the word hypocrite? The devil. Who loves hypocrites? The devil. 
And he wants a Christian to be a hypocrite. How many of you feel like hypocrites? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> That's the devil in our life. Hypocrite is the second most judgmental word in the Bible. What's the first most judgmental word? Thou fool. That's why Jesus said, don't say it. <laughs> but the second most judgmental word in the Bible is, a, is thou hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who acts like they're following God, but in their hearts have forsaken God. They've abandoned him for their own ways. Go to Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Matthew 15, in verse 7. See, I'll get somebody to read this. Let me see. I'll start. Estevo. Matthew 15, 7, 8, and 9. Wow. So he calls them hypocrites, doesn't he? And he says, Isaiah prophesied about you and says, you guys are good at drawing nigh, getting real close to me with your lips. But where was their heart? Far away, out golfing somewhere, <laughs> wanting to go eat. Um, and in vain they worship me, teaching Bildad's doctrines instead of my doctrines. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, let me ask you this before I say this thing. Who were declared hypocrites in the Bible? Anybody remember? The Pharisees were one. I'll read you there. Matthew 23, 13 says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering in. Who else? Bet you never thought about two others. I don't know that they were called hypocrites, but I would agree. They were hypocrites. That's very good. Anybody else? Look there in Matthew. Find your Bible. Find Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. Sinead, do you want to read it? That's fine. Matthew 6 and verse 2. Thine alms. Alms are, sorry. Yeah, alms are when you give to people who won't give you back money. Wow. So you know what kind of people they are that would go along and would give money away so that people could watch them give money away? They're called religious people. Not religiously good people, but people who are only religious in show. And they're hypocrites because they only do things to be seen of people. I'll show you another one. Matthew 7, 5, Miss Mona. <clears throat>
Okay, now this is very descriptive, but what kind of a person would be going around trying to see specks in people's eyes? What would we call them? Besides an optometrist? <laughs> or an ophthalmologist? What do you think, Mona? Andrew, help her out. A critical person, a judgmental person. So what does God call hypocrites? Pharisees, religious people, judgmental people. Careful, careful, careful. We deal with hypocrisy all the time in our own life, but these are serious hypocrites, and these are the ones that are in charge of a lot of different things. Now, the ruin of the hypocrites goes to this point. Number one, they have no hope. He describes, Bildad describes them, even though they're so promising, so green, so young, so vibrant, they have nothing more than a spider's web to hold them up. Everything that a hypocrite rests upon collapses under the slightest of pressure. They're like an herb in the hot summer sun. They just dry up. And when hypocrites are destroyed by God, no one will remember them. He says the place that they were in would say, uh, they're not here. I don't know where they are. And someone else will take their place. Now, Bildad is implying that Job is a hypocrite and has been exposed by God as a hypocrite, which was not true. Then he has some final taunting. Verse 20. <clears throat> um, Behold, God will not cast away a perfect man, Neither will he help the evildoers till he fill thy mouth with laughing. Can you imagine the rudeness of saying to a man who's lost his family, who's lost everything, oh, God's going to make you laugh. And thy lips will be rejoicing. They that hate thee shall be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked shall come to naught. Now, when you read this and read this, read this, you get... You get the attitude in, in, in Bildad's words because this is a taunt. This is a mockery that comes out because he says, you know, Job, God is, does not cast away perfect people, a perfect man. But I have news for you. He does, and he did. Anybody want to tell me when God cast away a perfect man? Jesus Christ. God will never help evil men. Is that true? It is not true. Matthew 5, 45. Let's see if I can get somebody. All right, Adelina, Matthew 5, 45. <clears throat> For he maketh his son... Now, why doesn't God just abandon the unjust, the ungodly, and never give them rain? Why does he allow the sun to rise on evil men and give them another chance to repent? See, Bildad has this theology that says God will never help out an evil man. He did for me when I was lost. He kept me alive when I should be dead. Amen? That doesn't mean that he 
I was good enough to go to heaven, but Bildad's theology is warped. It is a prosperity type of gospel, a prosperity type of theology that twists the truth so that people look at themselves as the haves and the have-nots. I don't have problems, therefore I must be good. Do you understand what that, that was what was going on in Jesus' day when Jesus was surrounded by people and a rich man would go by, what did everybody think about that rich man? He's so blessed by God, he must be so good. And Jesus said, you could put a camel through the eye of a needle before that man will ever get into heaven. And they went, who could be saved then? If that good man can't be saved, how could we ever be saved? You see the problem that was going on? They believed Bildad's theology. I hope you don't. Bildad's theology teaches that bad people have bad things happen to them, and good people have good things happen to them. Third thing he says, God is going to fill your mouth with joy and laughter. He sounds like a charismatic televangelist. Come to my meetings and you'll be blessed. I have a cloth here for $9.99. If you, if you buy it now, I'll pray over it and your prayers will be answered. You will be, listen, just trust what I'm saying and God will give you laughter and joy. That's how every television ministry is funded because they promise the hearer a better life than they currently have if you believe them instead of God. And then they promise something. Then he promises one more thing. He says, everyone who's against you is going to be ashamed of themselves. If you just follow me, all your enemies will fall. Did Job know who his enemies were? Did Job know what was going on at all? This Bildad would make a great Joel Osteen. This Bildad would make a powerful popular religious speaker because he's saying what they always say. He just says it in an older way. Bildad basically believes that's the order of things, Job, and you should just accept it. He's not asking, he's not talking, saying, you know, Job, this is my idea. Job, I read this. Job, I remember this. I remember what Noah said. I remember what Shem said. I know, I remember something that the ancients said, and I wonder, what do you think? No, it was both barrels, pow, pow, pow. Job, doesn't that make you feel better? Let me give you some biblical thoughts about Bildad's approach, all right? We'll be finished. First question. What was Bildad's main purpose in all of those words? See? Good. He, he wants to win his argument but what is his argument with? Okay, so his whole point is to crush Job. Is that a good friend? And I ask you, every time we talk about these things, don't be that kind of friend. Secondly, was Bildad a help in any way to Job so far? Did any of that help anybody? 
Some of it was true. Okay, so truth applied matters. How you speak, how does Paul say we should speak the truth? In love. Third question. Can truth actually hurt the hearer? Hmm? Absolutely. There are some times when truth should hurt the hearer. Amen. But be careful that you're not hurting the hearer. Okay? Um, I kind of remember, I remember, I don't know if I remember this exactly, but I remember, <laughs> I do remember some part of it, okay? I'm just going to give you the little, I was young, my tummy was upset, and Dad was busy grading papers because he was a teacher, he was a professor at the university. He came and he said, Dad, I don't feel good. He says, go tell your mother. <laughs> I said, she told me to come tell you. And he said, what's the problem? You know, he looked at me half out of one eye, you know, one eye this way and one eye that way. And he said, what's the problem? I said, I don't know why tummy hurts. And I remember very vividly, he says, don't misunderstand. He says, go sit on the toilet. He says, go to the bathroom. He said, I've already been to the bathroom. And he said, well, I don't know what else to do. And anyway, he said, Daddy, I don't feel good. So what he did was he reached over and he picked me up, put me on his shoulders, kind of roughly. He says, well, you need to go to bed. And as he's going up, I released everything on the back of his shirt. Okay. I felt better. All right. <laughs> but will you understand that I didn't know what was wrong. My dad was perturbed. I probably did need to go to bed and sleep it off. I don't know. But when he picked me up and he put me on his shoulder and he's taking charge, it hurt. And truth can hurt the hearer, so be careful. That book is a sharp, two-edged what? Sword. And it can hurt and it can heal. And so some people would love to get behind this pulpit and tear everyone to shreds. And I don't let them. Some of you like that kind of stuff on the internet and all that stuff. That's your business. But then there are those who would never hurt a fly, never say anything that crossed anybody, and you don't need that either. Bildad's just one of those guys that didn't care what he said and how he said it and whether it helped anybody. Fourth question. What can help a truth speaker speak truth better? What can help a truth speaker speak truth better? What do you think? Okay, speak it out of love. Now, what if I don't know you? Okay, I'm almost done. So pray. Take the time to actually say, Lord, give me some wisdom. If anybody ever phones you up or just says, could you, could you pray with me? I'm going through a hard time. You need to go, Lord, I better pray. God, help me. I don't know what I could say, but give me something to say to encourage them. You see, how we answer and what we say matters. Our theology matters in a big way. Another question. What do most Christians, should just say base, what do most Christians base most of their doctrine upon still today? Hmm? Their experiences. What else? Observation, circumstances. What else? Opinions. Hmm? Nature, okay. God is in nature. 
most Christian theology is based upon what people want. Wow. Now, that's the opposite of what Bildad was giving Job. Job didn't want anything that Bildad was saying. But modern Christians are this thin in truth and this thick in sugar. My wife was, we had the last of the carrot cake today from a week ago. Whatever that carrot cake was. Anyway, it's got, carrot cake always has a thick icing. And I haven't had sugar in, in days, maybe a week now. So when I had that first bite with the sugar on it, <laughs> and I ate all the rest of the shit. My wife looked, you ate that icing? I said, yeah, sugar's good. <laughs> when you haven't had it in a while. Here's the point. You know, most audiences come and they want a good dose of sugar. Last question. What should we do with all of our supposed wisdom? Bildad thinks he's very wise. What should we do with all of our supposed wisdom? Be very careful in giving it out. Be very slow to think that you can step into darkness and somebody else is hurt and just tell them something that will change. As, as uh, it goes on with the other question there, but as Tony said, you, if you saw some people going through some hard times, and I've watched this, a lot of experiences that people go through force me to go and study and learn what could I say that could encourage them. And prayer. But when you think you've got wisdom, be very careful to use it. All right? So, any questions? Doctrine is what is true. So, and what is, what is truly true? For example, there's the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, right? That is a biblical doctrine. And I'm not sure where I said doctrine, but um, in what context, but people need to know what is true, not what you think is true. I mean, can you imagine if a meteorologist got up in front of the camera on RTE1, I wonder if they do this, and gets up there and says, just a minute, I'll be right back. Yeah, it's windy outside, and I think it's going to rain. No, you want to know, do they know what they're talking about? Did they look at the charts? Have they figured out what the weather's going to be tomorrow? You, want, you don't want to know what their opinion is. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? Doctrine is, what did God say? What does the Bible say? That's absolute truth. And that's doctrine, okay? Any other questions? I hope that in some ways, I, I was not planning on doing the, the nitty-gritty of Job's interactions. We'll skip a lot of them at some point. But I want you to see, this is what Job had to put up with. And if you ever have a friend like Bildad, just smile and wave, ask for grace, Mm. Because if you start to interact with, jo with Bildad, you know what happens in chapter 9? Job's going to answer him, and then another friend's going to speak, and Job's going to answer him, and another friend, and then Bildad will go, I want to get at him. And it just goes on and on and on. So sometimes the best thing to do is shut up and just trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, hard, hard things. Most of us, 
would have fallen apart in chapter 2. And for some reason, you're allowing Job to continually experience loss, continually experience hurt. Really, I'm encouraged because he's a type of Christ who went even much further. I don't know of anyone in all the Bible that went through so much trouble than Job besides Jesus. So as we look into his life and we see him react and see him handle all of these guys with bad theology, pray maybe we get some courage to say, I guess, Lord, I can handle it too. Not that I have all the answers to respond, but I do have the same grace that Job did. So, Lord, thank you for Bildad and all his wrong theology because it teaches us what not to be like. And if we do have a Job, someone in our life that's hurting, change the way that we help them for their good. Please, in Jesus' name, amen.